Hello, and welcome to part one of our discussion of chapter 21 of Prisoner of Azkaban with special guest, Woke Doctor Who. Uh, as with all episodes with four guests, this ended up being extremely long, and so it is split into two equally wonderful parts. Before we get into it, I do want to let you know that we had maybe the worst technology curse issues that we've ever had, despite the fact that there were three of us with Black Tourmaline on our computers this time around. In addition to two internet drops, there also was an issue with uh, Toya's sound. There are several moments throughout the episode where the sound quality is going to be real wonky. Uh, And then real quick, a couple things. One, Sticker Club. It's official. Uh, it's so exciting. Literally, I've been having to exercise all of my self-control to not just design stickers 24-7 and in fact sometimes edit episodes. If you want to gift a sticker club membership to someone, simply put their information in the ship to information when you check out and the November and December stickers are going to go out together being mailed out on December 15th so if you did want to gift that to someone in time for Christmas you will want to make sure that you join before then. The other thing as far as you know gift giving season if you celebrate a gift giving holiday it is now easier than ever to gift someone a Patreon membership because Patreon has made it so that you can sign up for yearly subscriptions. So if you want to get that as a gift or give it as a gift that makes it super easy to do so. And now we're going to get into this incredible episode. The Gaily Prophet operates under the assumption that you have read the books. If you haven't read the books, go and read them. Otherwise, you're going to be spoiled, and that's your choice in this world. Gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. Well, this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is no nothing straight about plum velvet <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when i said that <laughs> monocles are impractical but hot i don't for a second believe that she is a straight person i mean i'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva mcgonagall let's talk about harry potter Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Harry Potter and talk about it humorously yet ruthlessly. At some point, I forgot to (laughs) say that part. It's been been a minute. We just got back from our break. I am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. That's what's up. (laughs) Uh, And I am Griffin Dyke extraordinaire, Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about Chapter 21, Hermione's Secret. In which Snape's dreams come true, Fudge continues to be more useless than the GOP, and Harry <laughs> realizes he's in the worst timeline because he failed to save Sirius from the Dementors, and none of the adults believe him and Hermione about Peter. Thank goodness, Baddest Witch Hermione for, to the rescue with her motherfucking portable time machine, aka Time Turner. Dumbledore gives her just enough veiled info for her to piece together a plan, and her and, and, her and Harry are off to later that day. They had to dodge themselves because time paradox doubles should never meet. They grab Buckbeat, wait around for events to happen, and Harry confesses to Hermione that he thinks his dad saved them from the Dementors, which seems legit as they are waiting in a time loop. Hermione is like, no, honey, no, that's not how this works. Harry, <laughs> convinced, runs to the opposite side of the lake to watch himself be mobbed by Dementors and then realizes that he cast the Patronus, which is a stag, just like his dad's and in Maja's form. So he was sort of right. Dementors dealt with, Harry and Hermione fly Buckbeak to spring Sirius and give him Buckbeak to escape, which he does, flying off into the moonlight. Yes. And with us in the studio today, we have Toya and Eugenia, the hosts of Woke Doctor Who, a podcast about race and representation in Doctor Who, hosted by an Asian lady from D.C. and a Black lady from Baltimore. Welcome to the Gaily Prophet. Hi. Thanks for having us. This is so exciting. We're so happy to be here. It is so exciting. Uh, Your podcast is like in my top five podcasts. Oh, yay! (laughs) Yes. I mean, I feel like 
y'all are the us of Doctor Who, which is like a relief because it means we don't have to make a Doctor Who podcast, <laughs> which we can't make any more podcasts. So <laughs> yeah, we're that you're out there. Yeah, we're already at max podcast, but I think if y'all weren't doing a podcast, we'd be like, well, I guess we're talking about Doctor Who now. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I think we just spent so much time picking it apart together that we figured other people would want to hear it too. Yeah, we always we always talk about our six hour lunches where we're just basically bitching about all things Doctor Who. Amazing. Yeah. Lunches that become dinners, that become drinks, that become dessert. Yeah. <laughs> For the scourge of every server. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So can we can we start off by hearing about each of your Hogwarts houses? Okay. Um I know what Toya's answers are because we've clearly talked about this so much already on our side. But um, I am a proud Ravenclaw. Um, if I was to pick a second house, it would be Slytherin. So what is what did we say that was? Slytherclaw? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. But I'm definitely much more Ravenclaw. Excellent. And I am also a proud Ravenclaw, <laughs> which is how we wound up making a nerdy podcast together. <laughs> I'm also a Ravenclaw, although I say I'm a Ravenclaw with Gryffindor rising. So I am a Ravendor, if we're going to use it that way. Um, I'm the nerd with the big mouth. <laughs> nice. That's perfect. Jesse is a Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, rising or moon. And I am a Gryffindor with Slytherin, rising mm. or moon, depending on. So we there's no Hufflepuff happening here, but like a nice balance, I feel no. like, of the other three. Between me and my child, we are all four houses. So I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Ravenclaw yeah, my... with Gryffindor rising, and she's a Hufflepuff with Slytherin rising, which is quite quite interesting. Yeah, and my my husband's a Hufflepuff and refuses to acknowledge a second house because he's like it's the only good one. <laughs> nice. I mean, to be fair, Hufflepuff is kind of the best house. So yes, yeah. absolutely agree. Both of both me and Jesse's partners are Hufflepuffs, also. So. Yay. I would say my partner probably is a Slytherin rising because he's an Aquarius rising. So I think that's probably how that works out. Yeah, my child is all Hufflepuff until you fuck with her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I guess I'm trying to decide, like, is being a hardcore Virgo more Slytherin or more... I'm a Gemini, but I don't know if that like overlaps with Ravenclaw at all. I think Probably. it does. Geminis are very curious. Yeah. I feel like a yes. lot of Gemini memes are about spending way too much time on Wikipedia. So Yeah, oh yeah, that's, that's my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> I always think it's so fun to kind of think about how astrology lines up with, you know, where you find yourself in your Hogwarts house. Although I would not think of myself being a Cancer Sun and a Taurus Moon as a Ravenclaw. Like, that's not where I would put them. I would automatically put them as a Hufflepuff, but... What is your rising? I'm also a Taurus rising, so... Whoa. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm... Curiouser and curiouser. <laughs> very Taurus-y, um, a very hard head, and all about the comforts and sensualities of life. yeah. This is perfect timing for this conversation because as of the release of this episode, we're actually putting up polls on our Patreon to find out, to do some deep, deep research on the connection between Hogwarts houses and people's astrology. It's open to the public. Everyone, please rush to our Patreon and contribute to this very important research. Thank you. (laughs) I'm kind of fascinated. That's cool. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm excited to see how the data from this is going to (laughs) look. Yes. And you said you were a Virgo again? <laughs> oh, I'm oh, I'm not a Virgo. Uh, my partner is a Virgo. Oh, okay. Uh, I am a Sagittarius, but also with a Capricorn moon. So I feel like oh. I'm a very toned down Sagittarius. I love Capricorns. My my little brother is a Capricorn. I tend to love them. My mom's a Capricorn. Yeah, I love them. She's very much one. Capricorns and Scorpios <laughs> are like my favorites. I love them. And my husband's a Scorpio. <laughs> 
Nice. I'm just surrounded. <laughs> all right. All right. We, we need to. We have so much chapter to talk about. Okay. Briefly, uh, Eugenia, what is your Patronus and how does it connect to your most deeply held identities? <laughs> so we actually had a discussion about this, like whether a Patronus is something you're aspiring to be or an actual reflection of you yourself. And we tend to flip our Patronuses a lot based on whether we think it's something we need at the moment or who we are. It's very much a who we are day or who I am day today. So my Patronus is a Tasmanian devil because I'm very, I'm small, angry, and kind of loud. That's that's incredible though. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, and uh, as of today, my Patronus is a Pekingese. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> small with lots of hair, um, but legend has it that they are demon destroyers, demon fighters, that they can get the smallest ones because they're so small, but that they have such a big heart that even the biggest demons, they can come in and slay them. So today, my Patronus is a Pekingese. That's incredible. Um, that's hot. Just for the record. <laughs> oh, all right. So we're going to get into it. We're going to start this newspaper off with today's headlines. Most powerful living wizard declines highly dangerous and sensitive mission, sends children instead. Uh, <laughs> accurate. That's the whole series. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'll just use that one from now on. I don't need to write anymore. (laughs) All right. We turn to the front page where we talk about all the things that don't belong in other sections of this newspaper. It has been so long since we recorded an episode of this podcast. I'm like, what podcast am I recording right now? (laughs) What do I say? Um, I'll get there. It's fine. Uh, Okay, Uh, Toya, would you like to kick us off? Yes. So one of the things that the first thing that stuck out in my mind is that there are Death Eaters just running rampant through the Wizarding World, right? So (laughs) there's several of them are named like right in this very little area. So we're thinking about how McNair is already like he's out and about. He's the Buckbeak executioner, right? Snape mm-hmm. was a Death Eater. He's out and about. We all know that Malfoy, Crab, Goyle, all of these people who have been in Voldemort's pocket are just allowed to run rampant through the Wizarding World, and we're just all acting like we have no idea. Like, that is always so... <laughs> that blows my mind that these people who are basically proven war criminals are just allowed to run rampant, and not only run rampant, but teach the children. Like, they're just hanging out in the schools with little kids. So that's, like, that's the very first biggest thing that stood out to me. Between that and the fact that Hermione has to ask Harry what it is that Dumbledore expects them to do once they go back with the time turner. And I'm like, as if. There's no way in the world that Hermione who would ever have to ask Harry Potter, what do you think we're <laughs> supposed to be doing now? That's not a thing. That's not a thing that would ever happen The only way it could possibly be real is if it would take a complete fool to figure out the thing they're supposed to be doing. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe it is that Dumbledore came up with such a foolish plan that only (laughs) Harry Potter would understand what it is. (laughs) Uh, Oh my God, I'm crying. (laughs) I mean, you're right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's totally unrealistic. It's it's completely unrealistic. <sighs> Definitely. Um okay. Uh Eugenia, what do you have first here? Okay. So this kind of ties into some stuff I'll bring in in later sections, but um the thing that kept occurring to me like the the first half of the chapter, all I kept thinking about is has Dumbledore already been here through time? Has he already been here and knows what's going to happen? And so that's why he's giving them the exact clues they need to to be able to get there. Like the second that occurred to me, I couldn't think about this whole chapter in any other way is 
Dumbledore has probably time traveled himself and probably has been to this exact place and is now sort of as time traveler bringing back the advice that he has now learned. I'm giving love eyes to Eugenia right now <laughs> because I have that noted down on my paper that I was going to bring up later on that I said, why is it that Dumbledore is acting in the time turnered scene as if he knows that Harry and Hermione are outside? And so he's stretching for them. He's delaying. He's making it so they can rush in and get Buckbeak and get out of sight and all of that. And so the the thing I thought was, has he is he time turnered too? Like has he now gone back and substituted himself <laughs> so that he can stretch time out for the kids? Right. And my thought is that the time turner isn't the only way to travel in time in the wizarding world. Because, you know, it's a it's a device, right? And so a device has to have a, something behind it, a theory or some sort of underlying technology. So, or, you know, spell. So they, the time turner, even though they have to register to get one or whatever it is, like, it can't be the only method of time travel in the entire wizarding world. It's just the only one that now these kids have heard of. So I think that it's very possible that Dumbledore has already been through this once. Mm-hmm. This is why we're yeah, friends, is- Eugenia. <laughs> <laughs> that has literally never occurred to me in all the times I've read this book. And I think you guys are right. Because, like, okay, so the time turner is like... Like, it's called that, I mean, for a variety of reasons, but you're, like, actually turning the sand in the hourglass. So maybe it's, like, maybe the sand is the part that is magically enabling you to time travel. Yeah. And I would not put it past Dumbledore to have that just in his possession and, mm-hmm. like, no one knows about. Because it's probably hella regulated. But it's, like, fucking Dumbledore. He does whatever the fuck he wants to anyway. Yep. Like, That's true. And does. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That makes a ton of sense. Though I do want to say, like, my note about that was that this is very on brand for Dumbledore. Like, we see him over and over again throughout the series, like, being confronted with a situation where something just, like, goes a way that he wants it to go and everyone else is freaking out and he just like gaslights everyone into like being fine with it Mm -hmm. which generally obviously I'm like gaslighting is terrible but the way that he does it is really funny to me and he's always he's just like well let's go to the bar like yeah it's gone like see ya let's (laughs) just head out and it's like everyone else is like we should do something he's like nah yeah we shouldn't and I do feel like even if he didn't the part that it makes me think you're right is that he does postpone McNair going outside. But if that hadn't happened, I do think it's very on brand for him to just be like, okay, <laughs> yeah, for everyone. Yeah. It's my favorite line reading in the entirety of like all the movies. And I know we're focusing on the books, but the, uh, the, in the movies, like after he, after they've come back and they're like, we did it. And he goes, did what? Bye. <laughs> it's like my favorite, like, random line in all of the movies. So, yeah, like the, the like, delightful gaslighting that he does is definitely the way he, I mean, and it's funny because, you know, coming from this perspective of Doctor Who, like, one of my favorite doctors is uh, Tom Baker, the fourth doctor. And he's constantly, like, playing the fool, like, oh, my goodness, like, whoop whoops, mess that up, mess that up. And so like the whole time traveler disguising their actual knowledge thing is like something that's very, very prevalent throughout all of time travel fandoms and stuff like that, or like time travel content. So I think it makes a lot of sense that it's both. I don't know why all of a sudden I now have this image of Dumbledore as some kind of trickster deity. (laughs) <laughs> he has he has very much like a um almost like an eshu energy which is very much like huh who knows let's throw it all up in the air and see what happens um <laughs> you know all paths are open before you and you know try your hand and see how it turns out meanwhile you're just kind of screwing with the lives of actual children but you know pshaw it's all going to turn out right in the end <laughs> dumbledore does have big trickster deity yes 
He really does. Oh my god. Everything is kind of a twinkle in his eye and a oh my goodness, look what happened. Yeah. Like, come on, Dumbledore. You know? <laughs> come yeah. on, dude. You're sending an actual teenager to his death eventually. You're not <laughs> You're not yeah. the kindly old grandpa we all think you are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that tell-all book by Rita Skeeter is hella scandalous. It's <laughs> true. Yeah, I think, you know, this is, we're, we're going way off topic at this point, but I think they really have missed an opportunity to delve into who Dumbledore was as a young man. Um, I think there's a whole lot of fun <laughs> underneath those fancy robes. I think there's been a whole lot going on that we never get to see. And I'm yeah. kind of disappointed about it. Ugh. See, if they eventually have this sort of um, one one of the things that we've been talking about a lot is um, we want like an expanded Harry Potter universe like um, like they have with Star Wars, like they have with Marvel and stuff like that, where other creators can create with the same like intellectual property. And I would love a Dumbledore graphic novel like Dumbledore through his whole life through Whoa. time like that would be the best thing in the world. It, really would. it would be great. You know, of course, my mind is always focused on um, the adventures of the kids in the other schools. Yes. Particularly Wagadoo, you know, which is just, you know, selfishly for me, the African-American, which I would love to see what happens in the other schools and in the schools for kids of color. And I'd also love to expand the idea of what the American school would look like, given that there are a million different magical traditions represented here in the States. Um, because of all of the people from all over the world who have brought their traditions with them. And being a person who has been born into one and initiated into another, I would love to see how they would work that out. <laughs> um, the representations, particularly to those that are kind of closed practices. How would you put those in schools? Totally. We did a yeah. whole like Patreon thing about this, but I'm pulling us back in because we're like two yes. people into the front page. <laughs> <laughs> we have to, we have, we've been recording for 20 minutes. Jesse, I believe it's your turn, right? Yeah, I think so. I just want to circle around to Snape, who for an actual legitimate criminal is such a snitch. Like, <laughs> not only is he like ratting out serious but he's also ratting out the trio for like literally no reason like that's not going to affect anything that fudge is going to do but he's like oh and by the way these kids are trash and he's going to be punished <laughs> and it's like dude you're a literal fucking death eater fuck you yes <laughs> yeah i have that and but also want to just like pull into that conversation that the way that both fudge and dumbledore are like completely dismissing his like i'm three years old tantrum that he's throwing is so beautiful snape is terrible but i fudge is just like uh-huh uh-huh okay like shut shut up now like no one cares what you're saying right now and i just love it so much <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely it feels like there's an analog for um, for Snape in like, you know, our current government. There's always, you know, like someone who's going to show up to their congressperson's office or call in all the time with just a whole bunch of complaints. And they get a, like they start usually they start kind of strong and then they sort of devolve into like personal gripes about people on their street and stuff. I think that's Snape. <laughs> Yeah, Fudge oh kind of treats him like a toddler. Like he's like, "We're gonna give you an award. We're gonna give you, Merlin, you know, second class, first class if you can get it." You know, like they're really trying to give him like a lollipop. Like, well done, you. Now just go be quiet <laughs> while the grown ups talk. Yeah. Oh my god, that was beautiful. <laughs> So Snape says that he's like, I, they were all passed out and I like brought them up to the castle and he's like, I bound and gagged black, obviously, which is like, yes, 
obviously, which is what everyone should have done in the previous chapter, which would have avoided all of this if you just bound and gagged fucking Pettigrew in a way that was like actually effective. And I don't usually have any props to give Snape, but in that moment I was like, you are correct that that was obvious and like everyone should fucking take a tip from you on what you do with someone who can like transform into an animal, but also you need to make sure they don't get away. I feel like that's that's very strong Slytherin energy there. <laughs> like, everything <laughs> yes. about that is just like, well, I knew the right thing to do. Also, it involved binding mm. and gagging. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I mean, there is there is serious sexual tension between Snape and Sirius. Yeah. Like, really, oh. there is. It always has felt like that for me. Like, there have been times where I'm just like, I just want you two to go somewhere and do it and just get it out of your system. <laughs> like they, they hate each other so much. And yet they're so the, the firing of the witty things back and forth. And there's very much like, Ooh, this is just hate fucking energy. Like there's just, <laughs> there's so- you know, I, I won't lie. I would read that fanfic. Me too. <laughs> You know, like I, I seriously feel it all the time that there's yeah. just, there's some a part of Snape that has gone beyond hate into very much like there's some desire deep down in there. And I'm like, dude, just you guys, please just throw them in a room and let <laughs> yeah. them get to it. <laughs> it doesn't help that the movies cast Alan Rickman in and uh, Gary Oldman either. Like. I would watch that movie. <laughs> also fair, to be totally yes, honest. Yeah, yes. I would watch totally it. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, something there's something super sexy simmering underneath there. But yeah, so the binding and gagging, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see it. <laughs> um uh Toya, what do you have next? Um well, and maybe this will go, maybe this will, sh- should show up in um, politics. You let me know. I really just wanted to talk about how awful a person Snape is in general. <laughs> I think yeah. So like, and maybe education as well. because Yeah. He's yeah. an abusive teacher. So we want to talk about that. Um, and also serious, not being a great person. And I know that's going to like be a stab in the heart to Eugenia who yeah. loves serious. He's my favorite character. I can't stand him. So. <laughs> From the man high, the controversial. <laughs> I'm actually kind of excited because I do love a controversial take. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, please tell me about it. So, if, yeah, we can push that to politics if you want. But, yeah, I think, again, the reason, maybe the reason why they hate each other so much is that they are a little too similar. So, yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything else? No, I think I'm done with the, I think I'm done with my front page topics. Jesse. Uh, I just have like a couple of things. First off is that I feel like everyone really missed the like marketing potential of selling a humongous block of chocolate with a small hammer, which is what Madame Pomfrey <laughs> has. And I'm like, I like desperately want that. Like, please just someone get that to me. Just hit it with your hammer and just like take off a little. Ch- just like that sounds so great. I mean, you could buy a tiny hammer and just get those like giant pound, like two pound chocolate bars from Trader Joe's and yeah, go to town. That is true. That's what I was thinking of too. Is the ones from Trader Joe's? They're massive. They're so they're really intense. I could be living my best life. You're correct. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's possible. Like, definitely start selling chocolate by the pound. With a little hammer. <laughs> that just sounds so much like so much fun. It's like you're like excavating like <laughs> some crystal, but it's a giant block of chocolate. It just sounds so great. <laughs> oh, amazing. Uh, I just wanted to say that Harry in the hospital wing looks over at Hermione and says that she looks petrified. And I'm like, that was a 
really silly word choice because she spent like half of the last book like actually petrified and I think we should just be like mindful because I don't think that's what he means and like you've created this world in which like petrified is a real thing so you can't use that to mean scared anymore like that's actually (laughs) not allowed to be interchangeable vocabulary (laughs) I honestly just thought that he meant that she wasn't moving at all See, no, I'm pretty sure he meant that she looked terrified because that's how we use petrified. But exactly, that's exactly the point because petrified is a real thing in Harry Potter. Yeah, there's a point I'm definitely going to bring up later, but um, there there were several moments in this chapter where I was like, maybe JK is just not a very good writer. And that is one of them. Um, and the example I'm going to bring up later definitely is too. JK is definitely not a great writer. No. Yeah. The storyline, the characters, the world, that's all wonderful, but the execution is not great. Um, And that comes from somebody who does editing for a living. I told people, if you just remove the adverbs, (laughs) they will go down about 300 pages. Yeah. Okay, that's actually actually really funny because my biggest gripe about books six and seven is I'm like, they just didn't do any editing process. They just shoved this through because they want to make Mm -hmm. that money. And like, even when I was first reading those books as a like diehard, like group of Harry Potter fan, I'm like... Y'all, this isn't ready yet. Y'all should have, like, let this cook a little bit longer. <laughs> oh, so I'm glad I'm glad that you're, like, just verifying the feelings I've had for years where it's like, oh, yeah, this needed to have been, like, just marked up with a red pen a little bit more before it entered the Technology curse alert. All right, recording again. Cool. Insert technology curse jingle. <laughs> and I'm going to do my last front page which is that I think it's incredibly tender that the first thing that Sirius asks about is how Ron is doing Aww. like Aww. oh yeah what a sweet person that's sweet and that's Ron doesn't get that very often <laughs> <laughs> No, but Sirius is, like, really concerned about him. Like, he's about to give him an owl because he took his rat away. Like, this is this is very, very kind behavior. Yeah. Okay, right. maybe Sirius isn't as horrible as I just <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're going to convince you in this episode. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Double Taurus, remember. But you can try. <laughs> That's totally fair. Uh, All right, Jesse, what do you have left here? All right, so my last thing is that it's such a mood that Hermione is really not about this flying on a hippogriff life, which is how (laughs) I would feel about it also. And yeah, she's just not having a good time. And I'm like, yeah, neither would I. That sounds horrifying. (laughs) Slash terrifying. Slash I feel like riding a horse bareback is a very specific skill that Hermione probably does not have. It's just all a bit of a mess. And her feelings are very legitimate. (laughs) She's never very much about the flying. Like, she doesn't seem to really get down with the flying at any point. No. No. Which I love, because I don't really love flying either. And I think there's something very nerdy about that. There's something very much a, I am not in control of this thing. I'm just supposed to let it happen. And this doesn't make sense logically. Why? (laughs) Why this is happening? Yeah. That is that is an anxiety thing for me. I have an anxiety response to flight. So I very much uh, understand Hermione. <laughs> yeah, so do I. So I also understand all the points you just brought up and also being like, actually, Harry, you can get in the hippogriff. I'm just going to walk. It'll be fine. <laughs> I'll meet you there. <laughs> Let's turn to the education section where we talk about this goddamn school okay so my education point is going to slide into politics so i'll kind of you know put a pin in it but i just want to talk about snape's absolute abuse of the students in general and also particularly in this chapter where he is unbelievably nasty and personally nasty to these students. Um, He has a habit of calling Hermione stupid girl 
um, of saying things like she is a determined know-it-all, um, of just making very particularly pointed attacks in ways that he knows are harmful to the students. Like he can see the things that would really, really bother them and he picks at those things. And so I don't care if he was a world-class teacher otherwise, which perhaps he is because he's an expert at potions, right? But the fact that Dumbledore allows him to continue in the teaching of these students, knowing that he's doing actual damage. He does damage to the kids to the point where he is the thing that Neville fears the most in the world <laughs> because he's so abusive to these kids. Um, who could they have been? Who could they have become if they didn't have to sit under his tutelage? Are they really learning anything if they are terrified the entire time? Just complete anarchy <laughs> in this school. It's nothing that we would ever think of as passable or competent or good education in, in any world that wasn't the wizarding world. It's horrible. Yeah. I, I always rail against the uh, the teacher to some types. Like I, I like when I went through school, I was always a really high performer, but I never got along with any teachers because I didn't like authority. And so, well, it, I'm talking mainly of high school. And so I hated when teachers had their favorites. And, you know, looking through Hogwarts, there's so many bad teachers. And it's specifically that point of the teachers that have their favorites. And if they're not, you're not their favorite, they're going to shit on you kind of thing. Because even Trelawney, like, yeah, she's obviously extremely incompetent. And then on top of that, she's like shitting on Hermione all the time, which is unacceptable. And we know that what Snape is doing is unacceptable. And then, so, like, when I look at the teachers, the only ones that seem to have, like, an equitable classroom are, like, Professor Binns, who's dead. <laughs> uh, like, Professor Sprout, who I love. Um, and then, like, every other, like, former Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. But, yeah, so, like, Lupin, uh, Moody, like, he was a great teacher. Yeah, and I, I guess we don't see any of Quirrell's teachings, but I'm sure he was probably at least a little bit better <laughs> than like either Snape or, or Trelawney. And I wonder if, so Madame Pomfrey, who isn't actually a teacher, but she's a part of the school, right? So I don't know how she rides with the education topic, but there's the the beginning of this chapter it bothered me so much the way she is kind of brushed aside and condescended to and nobody's listening to her she's the one in position of authority she's the only healer present and yet people are talking over her she's being ignored <laughs> soundly by everybody yeah. um when she's the only one who's really focused on the health and the welfare of these children and often is the only one who's ever caring about oh the health and welfare of the kids. I have the exact same point and everything <laughs> <in> for politics. <laughs> but it's true. Like she gets run over and railroaded over and over again in the first half of this chapter. And it's unacceptable because if we talk about how hardworking the staff are at the school, she in a school that has destructive magic as like its main curriculum has her hands full. And so like, and she is the only one doing the job. There are no other, like there are no other nurses or assistants or anyone. And so like, you know, especially now we're seeing a lot like in our everyday lives, we're seeing more and more people in the caring profession. So like medical professionals and stuff like that come forward and really start to bring to light, you know, what they have seen from COVID in the past few months. And, you know, they talk a lot about burnout. And I'm just like, poor Madame Pomfrey, like, you know, hearing about all of these medical professionals and what they're saying in like Iowa and South Dakota and reading this, rereading this chapter, I was like, oh, Poor Madame Pomfrey. Our like, essential worker. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> one. The only one like, like, for hundreds of kids. None of the things that happened to her in this chapter are fair. And it's unacceptable. Yeah. 
I guess I feel like obviously we don't see a lot about the other magical schools in the world, but I just suspect that Hogwarts must be the laughing stock of them all because <laughs> of how terrible the quality of education that you get at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. And yet it's supposed to be the number one wizarding school in the world. And I'm thinking by whose standards? For some reason I'm being, and, and it's because I'm right now watching this latest season of The Crown. But it feels very much, it feels very much like that. Like when I watch The Crown, you know, the English royal family, it's supposed to be about grandeur and pomp and circumstance and everything. And when I watch it, all I think to myself is these are small, mean, petty people with small, mean, petty issues. And yet the entire world can be changed by this small group of mean snots (laughs) who are ruling from a grubby crumbling edifice of a castle like there's a scene this this season of a mouse running through the castle you know while they're on the phone plotting you know things that will affect the rest of the world and they have a a mouse infestation and so Hogwarts and the state of their education feels very much like that like this is supposedly the number one wizarding school in the entire world. And yet they're in this crumbling edifice with outdated everything. There's no central air, there's no central heating. So they freeze and they suffocate in the summertime. Um, they're infested with pests because that's what peeves is basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are, the wizarding world is affected by the education and the decisions that are being made by these rather unawesome <laughs> people. I mean, there's no other way to say it except for that they there's mediocrity there. Like they think of themselves as something high and mighty, but I'm not sure that they are. I'm not sure that the education these kids are getting is amazing. Um, they're being taught by in- incompetent teachers and, you know, abusers. So... I mean, anyone can print number one school on their brochure. Right? It doesn't make it true. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't think there's any overseeing body ranking them that's like, oh yeah, Hogwarts is best. Yeah, what's the standard? <laughs> and if Hogwarts is the best, what the hell is going on in the other <laughs> uh, Maybe really. Hogwarts is just like the University of Phoenix of magic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, incredible. Welcome to Editorials, where we rant about stuff. But my first thing is that I'm a little bit irrationally angry that Hermione was potentially not taking full advantage of the time turner. She definitely wasn't rolling it back every day to get extra sleep because we see her so stressed out and like burnt out in this book. But I'm like, she could have been doing that. She could have been like getting some like fun reading in. She could have been having, like, second breakfast. She could have been trolling her enemies. And I'm like, Hermione, the possibilities of this time turner, even if you're, like, just using it academically. Like, you just wasted opportunity, my dear. And I'm just like, ugh. It does feel very Hermione, though, right? To be like, I promise to only use it to get to my extra classes and to take that so literally that, like, she won't allow herself to entertain the idea that using it to get extra sleep or give herself extra time to get her homework done counts as being part of her academics. And like, I mean, I don't know, we're like into our 30s and are still like needing to rely on fucking memes to be like self-care is part of work. (laughs) So it's like Hermione clearly is like, no, taking a nap doesn't count as like, contributing to my academics which yeah is like fucking tragic because she needs a nap yeah Yeah, Yeah. desperately yeah i think she she seems to trust words on paper more than anything and so the fact that she had to fill out a whole bunch of paperwork to be able to get the time turner seems to have really just sort of overshadowed anything fun she could have been doing with it because like the thing with Hermione is that she always follows the rules until she doesn't and so but like the fact that 
this was on a piece of paper that she signed was like, okay, that's it. It's the written law. I can't right. use it for anything else. It's a, it's a, one of the reasons why I love Hermione and why I feel so close to her in many ways, because I am very much a rule follower until I'm not. You know, I am very much a rule follower until that rule doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I'm very much known for, you know, quoting Eddie Murphy and saying, the rules are on the refrigerator, Lil. So, like, I have to follow, I have to follow whatever the written laws are, <laughs> unless I don't think they make sense. <laughs> So I completely understand. I would have been the Hermione who years later when I was somebody's mother and thinking to myself, I just want a nap. will remember <laughs> that I had a time turner and I could have been taking naps. <laughs> it never occurred to me 20 years ago. Yeah, her mind definitely grows up and is just like, oh, wow, I really could have been napping so much more. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she she gives birth to Weasleys. I'm I <laughs> I feel for her. <laughs> I feel for her. Yeah, poor thing. <laughs> okay, I have a little bit of like heartbreak for us because Buckbeak, every time he sees Hagrid, oh. just like trying so hard to get to her and like the there's like the one line about him like looking like sad and defeated when she walks away i just like it my notes were just increasingly bigger sad faces in my book (laughs) (laughs) i was just like oh no this is hurting me so badly (sighs) i love i actually this is one of I think JK's biggest strengths is how she writes the emotions and personalities of animals Hmm. or creatures. Um, And I love, so like, you know, we all love Hedwig um, and how much she makes her feelings known. (laughs) Um, And like the same thing with Buckbeak is just, he's just such a, such a tragic figure and he's so sad about being separated from mama and stuff. I just, oh yeah it's true it's true i was taking notes today about buckbeak and kept calling him beaky because hagrid calls buckbeak beaky and i was like this is the sweetest relationship it's so sweet yeah so i yeah yeah, you're right yeah i had i had a lot of feelings about this especially when it was like fudge he was like oh hagrid you should wait inside while we do this and hagrid's like no, I need to, I need to be with Buckbeak. And it's, it's kind of like when a vet is like, do you want to be with your animal while we put them down? And it's yeah. like, no, I need to be there, clearly. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like forever just crying emojis after that. And I'm just like, oh, God. Yes. Yeah. And, but, you know, in the case of a vet, they're going to do things as, you know, humanely and gently as possible. McNair right. was absolutely not going to do that for Buckbeak. It's how do they still have executioners like in the wizarding world? Like I, I just simply 1700s. Yeah. Like I just don't understand. Like it bugs me. And especially like, you know, he has an ax and that's how he's going to do it. Like, oh my God, does this world just not think about humane treatment of literally anyone like ever? It's unbelievable to me. And it's like, it's extra frustrating because no one, if if you imagine like Buckbeak's like head and neck being roughly the size of like a horse, like you're not going to get that. Right. But With it's an like, axe. But this is a world where you have a variety of poisons available to you. You could just have avocadaver, right. the like, you know, the hippogriff. And I'm like, you have some fucking do with an axe? Are you right. fucking kidding me? Yeah. Oh, God. I just don't understand it. And like, apparently the axe even fits in his like his belt and i'm like what kind of axe is this that can execute a a hippogriff and fit in someone's belt like what is this what is happening that's a fucking hatchet that's what yeah it's terrifying it's terrifying and i just don't understand why you know this was the method that they decided on is it the method they decided on because this guy is really sadistic or (laughs) is this the method of disposing of magical creatures and i'm like either either explanation is not is not okay 
Yeah, they're both bad. I don't understand how I and millions of other people think of Harry Potter books as comfort reads. I don't <laughs> I don't understand like when you start really examining it and thinking about it, like this it's horrible. The entire series is just it starts off just roughly hard and then just gets increasingly more horrible with each book. And it's so easy to forget that really it was happening in quote unquote modern times. You know, when I sit and think about when these books were supposedly taking place, that as I am, I am older than Harry Potter. Okay. So right now, if we, if Harry was a real person and had aged up till 2020, I would be older than Harry Potter because I'm 42. Okay, so I think Harry and them are like 40 or 41 yeah, this year. they're 40. They're one year older than me. Right. So this is all happening during a time when, you know, I would have been in high school, you know, <laughs> during the 90s. And I think to myself, they're living in medieval times in that castle. And at least Harry and Hermione know what the 90s are actually like. Like they live outside of this castle in the world of muggles with computers and video games and regular clothes and all of that. And then you go and spend nine, 10 months of your year in the dark ages. It, it ha I can't imagine how that does your head in. It's not just that you've gone from the muggle world to the magical world. You've literally gone back in time centuries and you see things like this, like who in the world would think that the way you put down an animal is with a small handheld axe. Like that's just not a thing that would ever have happened. <laughs> also just like they had guillotines in right. the ages that the witching world is stuck in. So like, come on, at least, at least give us a guillotine. <laughs> and so I'm wondering, like, at what point did the wizarding world just stop advancing, right? Because they got to a certain point. I think with the implementation of the statute of secrecy, Hmm. Which would make sense if there weren't Muggleborns, but there are. Right. So it's like it doesn't make any sense no. at all. No, and not only are there Muggleborns, there's definitely you know. Wait, so I, wait. Remind me, the statute of secrecy does that cover across countries or not? It's yeah. international. It is international. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, like the, there's no way to protect an idea <clears throat> ever. Like ideas evolve, you know? And so if you look at a spell, it's not anything that's set in stone. It's an idea. And so it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, in general, refuse to believe that there aren't some muggle-born kids who unlike Harry and Hermione, refuse to assimilate into witching culture. Like, mm -hmm. there's got to be kids trying to smuggle in, like, Game Boys and being like, but a the Dewey Decimal System, or but ink pens, or like, <laughs> you know, whatever variety of things you can think of that a Gen X child at that time would be like, okay, but no, like, it's the 90s. We could just do this not like this at all. <laughs> We have a really beautiful comic that our comic artist made about Hagrid borrowing a kid's Game Boy and like refusing to give it back. I love that. <laughs> it's oh my really god! Sweet. I love that. Oh my god! That makes me so happy. <laughs> Hagrid would love Pokemon so much. It's exactly. Nice. Yes. I'm pretty sure it's Pokemon that's on. Oh, it is. It is. <laughs> I love that. Is there not also a kid who? So okay. So Hermione obviously tells her parents a whole lot of the stuff that happens they get to come into the wizarding world with her like they're in Diagon Alley buying her school supplies and all that kind of stuff with her and they go off and talk to Mr. Weasley for god knows how long and all of that how many kids are actually doing that with their parents like bringing them into the wizarding world you know, and those people are moving back and forth. It's no way in the world right. that the secrets have been kept. 
And it happened even a generation before um, Hermione because um, Lily and Petunia, like they always talk about how proud par- Lily and Petunia's parents were that their daughter was a, a witch and how much Lily had tried to campaign to get Petunia into Hogwarts. Like they know, they know. And a whole generation before even the main characters in this book, they know. So there's right. just no way to keep it of keeping it completely isolated, right? Because Petunia tells Vernon, and I like I'm thinking about it obviously in terms of like COVID spreading. Right? <laughs> so it's like like Lily's parents and sister know, and like if each of them tells one person, like mm-hmm. and those people aren't as invested in keeping the secret because they're not directly related to Lily, so like they're gonna talk about it with less fears about the implications for the witching world and so yeah it would just basically be well, i mean i guess it would be like an internet conspiracy theory probably yeah. <laughs> oh god it's QAnon. oh god <laughs> no <laughs> yeah no, I, I, I feel like the like many world building things in this series i think if you if you were to like critically think about the international statue of secrecy, it kind of falls apart. Cause you're like, there's no fucking way. Like there's just no way that you'd be able to control something that big. Right. You know, or relatively big. Cause I guess there's not as many witching students compared to like the total, you know, population of say the UK, but it's like still right. Like you tell one person and it just, it spreads and it's like, right. And then even in canon, too, like when we look back at um, the Fantastic Beasts series, like there's a lot of cross-pollination that's happening right there in the 30s, you know, because uh, Newt's commander ends up marrying um, one of the sisters and then probably the other sister ends up with a muggle, you know, and so there's so much cross-pollination even happening then, you know, not just of, you know, non-magical and magical people, but across across the world because Hogwarts isn't the only wizarding school so it isn't the only wizarding wizarding society doesn't stop in like the United Kingdom like it's all over the world what if the rest of the world just stopped following the statute of secrecy like generations ago and just no (laughs) one bothered to tell the UK like all of the rest of us are like Oh yeah, we accepted long ago that there are yeah. like witches and wizards. What have you guys been doing? You think keeping it a secret? So basically, the wizarding the the UK wizarding world Brexit happened way 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 before exactly. the, <laughs> the current Brexit. Oh, oh my God. The rest of us were integrated a long time ago, you guys. Like, oh like incredible. I'm proof. We live among the Muggles, <laughs> and we just forgot to tell you. it's so sad what if the rest of the world is laughing at them like they're like oh they're so pitiful in their little crumbling castle like we do our work on laptops over here (laughs) (laughs) you're still using a quill have you heard of a are you serious it's 2020 (laughs) like not only laptops have happened, but oh my god, let me introduce you to the ballpoint pen. <laughs> <laughs> let me help you. All right, I want to be mindful of time. So it's, uh, what, 7.40 where all of you are? So let's see. Let's try to maybe rein things in a little bit. <laughs> my last thing is just another, like, crying emoji thing which is the whole part of harry like thinking that he saw his dad and like Um. waiting to see his dad and like all of the emotional investment that he puts into that and like rationalizing that we see him doing where he's like well the rest of them weren't supposed to be here today either but they were all here so like maybe my dad is here too and it just (sighs) is really tragic it's just real sad it is so heartbreaking and it's it's sad feeling like Harry never gets over an entire life of trauma. I, As an adult, I don't know that he would have ever been able to process anything that had happened from his birth to, you know, 
any moment in his future. It's like the one good thing in Cursed Child is the scene where yeah. Harry gets to like basically do exposure therapy and right. like literally watch his parents get murdered. That scene is so emotional, but also like I feel like it is maybe the only way that he ever could have come to terms with his trauma. And the yeah. rest of the play is crap, but that part is is very like that play is awful, but I mean, yeah, like there's no therapy in the ma- magic world either, or at least no. in the UK wizarding world, which, where have you been? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Welcome to Corrections, where we correct stuff. So this was one of my biggest gripes of reading this chapter. So... When they jump back with the time turner in time, they not only travel in time, they've actually traveled in space. This is something I completely for like missed the first few times through and completely forgot about. Um, and so they travel from inside Madame Pomfrey's ward to, I think, the entrance hall. And then they jump into a closet to wait before everything kicks off. But the way they describe this, so we, we've seen people travel in, in space quite a bit, even by this point in the books. Um, we've seen, well, I guess the port key is the next book, but then we've seen through um, the flu network. And then, you know, if we look at the entire wizarding world, we know how they travel when they operate and we know how they travel when they touch a port key. And there's always a description of like how that feels like they're being Mm -hmm. physically pulled none of that happened here like so basically they kind of it's it's almost kind of like they describe things like rewinding visually rewinding which i think they ended up doing in the movies as well and like just sort of rematerializing there but there's no anything like nothing mentions a physical body being moved and that bugs the hell out of me so like this is another point that the the movies sought to correct because instead of having them show up in the entrance hall once they'd gone back in time they just reappeared in the ward and that it, it just bothers me because time and space are two distinct things they are related and they are they can be interconnected but you can't just be like this is how space travel works in this world and then this is how time travel works in this world but then sort of mess up the explanation between like how you get there and what effect it has on a physical body so yeah that's my correction pisses me off (laughs) that bothered me also and i did think it was interesting that where they spatially travel to is where they were at that time Mm -hmm. which like seems like the most inconvenient possible thing right to have it do because if you're not supposed to put yourself in a position to kill your double ending up like where you're about to run into your double is like worst case scenario so like even just on like a functional level, it's like that sucks. Like fix your magic. Right. <laughs> so it like doesn't work on both a magical and a science level. Right. And you know, that type of magic would extinguish itself, right? Because that, you know, if that's happened in more uh close settings in other scenarios, that means lots of time turners lots of people with time turners have either been killed in the past or killed in the future. So goodbye time turner there and goodbye right. person. And so like clearly even so if if magic, you know, was to evolve the way that, you know, real evolution works in this world, clearly that would not have existed with how many times people must have traveled, you know, in time. Like to end up in a place where you extinguish yourself means that that magic and that device goes away so that is not gonna like continue in that in this world it doesn't even make sense yep yeah Yeah. i like that you guys have this this segment (laughs) because i was like i don't know what we're gonna what we're gonna get into when we're getting into the big like time travel section which is why i'm just kind of smiling at eugenia again because (laughs) you know this kind of thing becomes mind meld and remember i said to you i wonder if your correction and my correction are going to be the same kind of correction. <laughs> and it was the thing that occurred to me was that, you know, if I went back three hours in time from right now, 
all that would do is make it if it's 825 right now it would just make it 525 that would not mean that my body would have moved from where i am <laughs> to someplace else and that was the thing that and maybe that is because we are whovians and yes. that kind of thing <laughs> time and space yep i'm like yeah all you did is rewind time that doesn't mean you've gone anywhere and it is fixed in the movies that it just goes back three hours but they're still in the same spot where they were when they started turning it and that's not what happens in the book no and i i feel like in general a lot of time travel media accounts for the fact that you're just gonna be still in the same spot Mm -hmm. even though you're like traveling through time because right you're not necessarily traveling through space so it it is like a huge oversight for this yeah whole situation yeah thank you for listening to this episode of the gaily prophet uh you can find toya and eugenia on their website which is woke com, and that is doctor spelled out uh, you can find them on Twitter at Woke Doctor Who. You can listen to their podcast, which you should. It's available wherever. You can, you know, find The Gaily Prophet at The Gaily Prophet, all of the places. You can find all of our merch and our sticker club on our website, which is thegailyprophet.com. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash thegailyprophet. If you want to, you know, give us a gift for this gift giving season, you could tell all of your friends about our podcast and maybe sit them down and listen to it with them via Zoom to get them really started on it. You can also leave us a review wherever you can leave reviews for podcasts. It really is helpful for convincing people to start listening. If you want to find me on the internet, I'm on Instagram at Lark Malachi. That's also my website. You can Find Jesse on Instagram at live from Detroit or on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit. Our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. Our spoiler warning is by Sarah Sarwar and has been updated to reflect our new relationship with JK Rowling at the suggestion of one of our listeners. And I think it was a great suggestion. So I did it. Um, And until next time, I'm sorry to leave you in suspense for part two of this episode. I promise it's worth it.